Hello and welcome to Color Commentary. It's Unji and today I'm excited to have Lily Kim on the podcast. Lily Kim is our first 1.5 generation guest. She was born in Korea and raised in Texas since she was five years old. She currently resides in Plano, Texas with her husband Jean, her teenage daughter Layla, and two golden doodles. Lily works in demand generation marketing for a Silicon Valley tech startup, and when she's not mothering or wifing, which is really a constant job, Lily enjoys puzzles, cooking, reading, and going out on strolls while shopping. <laughs> you can also find Lily serving as a preschool Sunday school teacher at her home church where God continues to use her for the greater good. Lily is an old-time friend of mine from middle school, and while we never actually got super close, there has always been love shared through distant connections. So I'm so excited to have her on the pod to learn more about her incredible story and how she got to where she is today. So without further ado, welcome, Lily. (laughs) Thanks for Um, having me, Angie. Thanks for joining. I can't believe we're doing this and... I also feel like I haven't actually talked to you since middle school, so it's like weird that we're both 30 <laughs> and moms in ways and stuff like that. So life is interesting at how it, it kind of brings us together. It sure is indeed. I actually felt such a strong pull to come on today, of course. I remember back in the day when I was pregnant with Layla, probably in my third trimester or something, and you reached out on Facebook and we had barely talked you know, since middle school, but you had mentioned that you thought it was so brave that I was going through with it and that that you were praying for me. And it was so crazy, but I remember that. And so I just feel like prayer warrior to prayer warrior, I guess, we just keep pulling towards each other. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And it's one, I'm glad it's like as a Enneagram too, personally, just like that words do have power. So I am glad that that wasn't some forward thing I did when I was younger, but I'm glad we got to come full circle and even talk about that journey together. I'm really excited to hear your story. And since we were, we're kind of connected through Frankfurt Middle School, I feel like that's when we first met. You yeah. were friends with the Graces and I became yeah. friends with the Graces. So we all kind of became friends as like sixth graders trying to navigate middle school but yeah but I think like after that I don't think we had as many interactions as I feel like I wish we would have I think I was with your brother yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) hung out with him more and your pinnity friends I think like back then while we never got to establish a connection it is cool how we get to have that years later and and kind of like open this space for you to bravely share parts of your story with us today. So I kind of wanted to start with that childhood time and wanted to structure our time today where because we don't know each other super well, I would love to know like about three words about each stage in your life that I ask you about. And as you share those words, we can elaborate more on what that means to you. And then we can like go into further discussion through that. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I guess first would definitely be your childhood time. It sounds like you have a lot of transitions that happen as well being a 1.5 gen kid. And so just wondering what would three words be to describe your early ages in childhood? I would say the three words to describe my childhood would be trials, unorthodox, and challenge. Um, It's crazy. For the first time, I actually sat down to reflect on my life the past 30 years. It's interesting to reflect on that. And those are the three words I would definitely 
start off with. So I moved to Texas when I was five and as a family of four. So I have an older sister that's four years older than me, you know. And when I thought that we were moving here, it was for the American dream that every other Korean family I feel are chasing. But only actually did I find out a couple of years back that we were actually running away from Korea due to my dad's affairs. Oh. Yeah, so that's the background of my parents' divorce. And mm -hmm. um, growing up, I was the so-called angelic child. Church was my second home. You know, and you, you're familiar with it. I would serve on the praise team and the body worship team, look after the nursery preschool kids. Um, I spent most of my weekends there following my mom to all the early morning prayers. I was just glued to my mom's hip, just wanting to be that support system through all those hardships, right? At that time, I didn't know, but it was very apparent, you know, in your day to day. So the trials come through those challenges that we had within the family. And my father was, his presence was there as a father, but as a husband wasn't. And for us to see that as role models, it was not something that we wanted to follow. And witnessing a family in front of my eyes deteriorating from my sister and dad's relationship and uh, my mom and dad's broken relationship. It was just so hard to live that. As I was, you know, going from first grade to, um, I want to say fifth grade. So mm -hmm. at the age of 12, when I was 12 and my sister was 16, we were sat down to eventually choose a parent. And so without any hesitation, I actually chose my mom. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, there's a suitcase at the front door. I was actually the favorite child for my dad. So mm. for me to choose my mom right away, it felt like betrayal to him. And so I think it was, it was so easy for him to quickly leave the family as a whole. And, you know, ever since then, the rest is history. My mom living as a single parent, you know, it was really tough. That's where the un unorthodox comes in, where we're just living day to day all of a sudden coming from a family of four to family of three, countless nights hearing my mom sob in the closet or uh, mm. many nights that she would come home late because she would have to you know, look for new jobs. And the times that she came late, she was coming from her serving restaurant. So she worked at a sushi restaurant and just trying to make ends meet. So it was very difficult for us to navigate through those years, especially me going into middle school and my sister going into high school. So that is where the challenge came because not that he really was a huge role model, but you don't have that ideal role model to walk you through those important stages of life. And so everything was just unorthodox. Childhood was just trial after another. I think that's where it was the toughest. I feel like I just learned a huge piece of your life that I had no idea. So thank yeah. you for being so open right off the bat. You know, it sounds like you were saying you were the favorite, right? And so while you chose your mom so quickly, what was your own relationship with him like? And how did that affect you when it when it was no longer like that because he was hurt by a decision that was easy for you to make? I feel like you're the youngest kid in the house. Um, there's just more love that goes there. But that may just be us. I don't know. I just listened well. And not that my sister did it. But you have to realize the time of that tension and during those stages, my sister was actually 
going into her adolescent years. So that right. was around when she's like 15, 16, 17. And relationships come into play. And, you know, a lot of teaching have to be done. But if there's a lot of retaliating or rebelling, it's just so hard to manage, especially from a father-daughter relationship. And so that deteriorated, obviously, so easily and faster than ours. For ours, I feel I was just there for both my parents. I was just that, you know, young child, um, just always being kind and listening to what my parents say, and doing whatever they, they wanted. So I think that's how I just became his favorite. And I, as you were kind of reflecting, it seems like you definitely saw and heard a lot of the struggles that your mom went through. As I'm listening to you, have you feel for her, right? And you want to be there for her are things I feel. And I'm wondering with that, though, like, how did it affect you as a child? Or how did it affect you as Lily and not necessarily Lily, the youngest that wants to be the joy for others? I think it really made me so independent. Mm. I also felt like I had to be that caretaker. That kind of responsibility on my shoulders at such a young age, feeling like I should be there for my mom to make her happy through this. I should be there to be a shoulder for her to cry on. I have that caretaking characteristic, I mean, up until now as I'm 30. And I feel that that followed me greatly, especially because witnessing that myself growing up, of my own mother, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't ditch that characteristic for anyone else. I think that's why I try so hard with Layla. Yeah, because there is a sense that you had to grow up or mature in ways. Did you harbor resentment or harbor feelings of anger in that? Or was that just how you let your personality unfold? Oh, yeah, that definitely didn't last long, which actually leads to our next segue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that that is the reason to why I became so rebellious at, at some point and just living a reckless life and holding that resentment that I thought that I didn't have until I was acting it out in Houston. Mm. What a great transition. Before we go to that next stage, though, um, a couple just like other things in terms of one, what was your relationship like with your sister? I know like right now you guys are like best friends. Right? What was that dynamic like growing up because of things you guys did endure together, but also being in different child age stages? I would definitely say the four year gap is perfect. I don't know if you're yeah, I would agree. Guys. I'm super close with my sisters. <laughs> Exactly. She essentially was like my second mom throughout the whole childhood. And second, she was just someone that maybe at that time, we weren't super close because I was borrowing her clothes and she was mm. hitting me for it. And <laughs> I was stealing her CDs for my Walkman and she hated me for that. But, you know, at the end of the day, she she always had my back. She always held my hand, always guided me um, to the best way possible. And so even to this day, if anything were to happen at home or I have advice that I may need, I would open my door and go straight to my sisters. Um, mm. She is like my best friend. So mm. we're very close oh. in that way. I'm glad that she was that constant for you since since the beginning. So that's encouraging to hear. Um, okay, so like you mentioned, that didn't last long in the sense that you are a child and you, you had things that you were building up inside of yourself that 
we need to express as well, right? When you go through difficult hardships and trials, which sounded like there were a lot. I don't actually remember when you moved to Houston, but that is the next stage that we're about to go into. Three words to describe what your time in Houston looked like. Three words would be pruning, conflict, and reckless. Ooh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I actually moved to Houston junior year. As I was saying, you know, that my mom was a single parent, right, since Mm -hmm. I was 12. So she was always having to search for the next new job, the better job to suit my kids and our needs and to just make ends meet, to be more comfortable. She was always being referred to new jobs by her close friends and Houston was the one at that time. That must have been hard just because I feel like you were pretty socially established in Dallas. How did it affect you and even just like what did that stage look like with the words that you chose to to use? It was definitely tough. Like you said, I had so many friends and not friends alone, but there were such meaningful friends that Mm -hmm. I grew up with since I was a child and You're very aware of how close your church community can be. And so to leave that was very tough for me. But at that time, I was only about 14 or so, and I have no choice. So I just body followed, heart followed. It was tough. I'm I'm definitely going to say I don't keep a space for memory in my brain for Houston. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried really hard to forget Houston. Um, The only good thing that I I keep in my brain is when Layla was born in the woodlands, actually. Yeah, but I, everything else, it's somewhat vague. So I can try digging into detail, but that's how much I tried so hard to forget. And you don't have, you don't have to tap into that space if you if you don't want to either right like as much as you want to share and as little as you even can remember to share yeah I gotcha for chronological purposes I want to say started off went there junior year um, in the woodlands and it was okay it's you know it's just crazy because I actually moved every year of high school so I told you I moved to Houston in junior year, but I actually left. I went to Shepton ninth grade, right? We were at Shepton together ninth grade. And in 10th yeah. grade, I actually had to move to Frisco. So I went to Centennial for a little bit. Okay, yeah. So that's how you're connected with some other people. Like Sepka, right? Or Esther? Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Oh, okay. Exactly. So that's, yeah, I like my, my memory was mm-hmm. hazy with all of that. Got it. Okay. Continue. Now we're coming a full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was 10th grade and then 11th grade is when we moved to Houston, right? And mm. then we moved here. I actually had met such a bad crowd. And I feel like I was just living recklessly for a year or two. But before I jumped there, I think because I was moving at all the pioneers of our young lives, I think I was just trying to find my identity through people. So I lost that when I came to Houston. And then I found that wrong crowd. And that's where my identity started to come out. It might have not been the true me, but at that time, I felt that that was me. And so while I was living recklessly, I just had no care for tomorrow. The 11th grade ended, and that summer, I actually met Layla's biological dad. And that was in the wrong group of, you know, friends. 
And that was when then my mom decided, oh, let's move to Sugarland. So you know where Sugarland is? It's mm-hmm. just deeper south of Houston. And so that's another school change. So senior year, I had to move schools again. And I graduated from a high school called Rosenberg. And at that time, I was skipping school so much because like I said, my identity, I felt was so found with the woodland friends that I need to go hang out with them. I need to be with them. And so that's where the reckless living, it was just a constant battle. I was skipping school. I was running away from home and everything was just a dead end. But nonetheless, I graduated high school. And when I graduated high school, In my freshman year of college, I went to a community college there, Lone Star. And I think it was in my third month, I found out I was pregnant. Hmm. So you were with him through kind of like senior year and and then in freshman. Okay. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't have a driver's license, but he did. So he would drive 30 minutes out all the time and help me, encourage me to skip school and just horrible things like that. And so that was how it led to my pregnancy. And then that's where the last word conflict comes in. I was Mm. just so conflicted. Um, Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot. Oh my God. (laughs) Dang, you've went through so many changes. And not that I should have known this, but I just like didn't know kind of you, you did, you always seemed like that angelic or joyful or like the things you did share, like that is definitely a part Mm. of you that's there. But I feel like that's like the only part I saw. And it's just crazy to know, like, even just transition, like moving alone, I feel like has affected me. (laughs) And it's like, that's like only a small part of all the things that, you know, you've had to go through while figuring out your identity at such a young age. Um, And I think I tried really hard to hide that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially from people from friends like you and back at home. Right. I didn't really take the platform to share that. yeah right yeah, right and that makes know? total sense yeah you didn't think I'd be this vulnerable did you I know <laughs> I, I love it <laughs> our listeners are in for a treat um I feel like that would be something right you want to protect a certain part of yourself too by keeping your identity strong in in the sense with like who you are in Dallas but also that's incredibly lonely when you did want to protect that side so you couldn't express even all the things you must have really been going through okay so you found out you're pregnant what went through your mind I guess in that moment and what were those next steps afterwards so real story I found out I think I told my mom and sister a few days after even keeping that in was crazy to me but I kept that in told them a few days later And my mom and sister had scheduled an appointment to get checked and to get abortion the Monday following. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not go to the appointment, obviously. The reason why was, yeah, I might have not been as faithful in my journey with God at that time. But just something deep inside, whether it was God or not, I was just pulled to, to not go to the appointment to just deal with what's on my plate now to try this looking at it as like a god's blessing in disguise at that time my mom would mention to me when i did decide to keep 
she said, you know, you're doing this all on your own. Mm. I'm never going to help you. I'm not going to babysit her. You know, you'll be handicapped for the rest of your life, right? Mm. Um, in dating, in any environment you go, fingers will be pointed at you. You will live that life. That's a handicapped life. Is that what you want? And obviously, you know, it's all coming out of love. Right. Because right. you and I know, even through my Instagram post, my mom probably loves Layla more than right. I do. Which <laughs> is impossible, but we all right. pour so much love into her. Yeah. And especially my sister too. She treats her as her own before her two sons which is yeah great great love being poured to her so that was that was how it was handled but yeah that's why the word conflicted comes into play because I'm being pulled to terminate the pregnancy and then the biological dad we were still dating at the time but there was not such a strong pull to let's keep let's keep the baby you know so it was really ultimately the decision of my own and it was my body right it was my decision and that's how it happened what was the response of the biological dad at that time right at that time he was just a freshman in college too so obviously he didn't have a stable career Mm -hmm. he didn't have much of anything really but i solely just based it on my heart and gut to keep her there was no persuasion from him really Mm. he was there for me in a way he was saying you know if you're going to keep this baby i'll be here for you but it was ultimately just his physical body being there next to me but emotionally, mentally wasn't there. So my lifelines definitely throughout this whole process was just my mom and my sister. When was that, I guess, time where you saw that turnaround from your mom and your sister from like that initial, not like almost like forced denial because they want to protect you who they love and you are in the flesh that they want to, you know, continue to love after versus like those words of like, I'm not going to babysit her or things like that. Like when, when was that change? I think not that long after. Mm-hmm. Once I decided to keep, you know, my mom had to help yeah. me, like feed me the right things, right? Yeah. Feed me the right food. So the baby will grow healthy in there. Just guiding me with parenting tips little by little. But at that time, our relationship was still being mend it because you know I was running away right and I was doing the horrible things disobeying my mom so it was really hard to still mend that relationship on top of her dealing with her 19 year old daughter getting pregnant it was such a rough patch but ultimately through Layla too our relationship grew stronger and back at that time she would say even the craziest things like you know, when, when I looked at you those years in Houston, the three years I used to look at you, it wasn't you that I was looking at. It was someone mm-hmm. else. I would look deep into your eyes and I couldn't find you. Mm-hmm. And that was that still carries to this day. I feel that, you know, hurt and sentiment for my mom to this day that I, I did that to her. I feel so bad. But yeah, through the pregnancy, through Layla, you definitely grew stronger once again. That's a constant theme I'm hearing is just that bond between you three that can't be broken, right? There's obviously times of confrontation and real talk, which is even greater to have in those relationships where that space is possible to share. But the fact that after each of these hardships and trials, you guys continue to grow stronger is so encouraging to hear. And it sounds like so freshman year, right? And we have young birthdays or late birthdays. So you, when you had Layla, you were 
a teenage mom, almost 20. What happened school-wise? Did you choose to take a break um, to raise her for that time? Definitely okay. took a break. Okay. Once Layla was born, three words to describe navigating motherhood, which is already difficult, but navigating motherhood as a young mom. Three words, strength, fear, and grace. Hmm. Oh, I love those words. Yeah. Okay. Strength. Tell me about that. So to give you a little context, Layla was three months at this time and we moved back to Dallas. We couldn't stay there anymore. There was just not much of a life for me. The response from the, in the community, you know, when we go to church, when we go anywhere, of course, within the Korean community, it would be like, oh, a baby that had a baby, you know, mm. like, you're such a baby. How could you have a, a baby? Are you finished with school? What, what are you doing? And, you know, all these comments. So that obviously made me feel judged, like I was such an outsider, um, especially being a Korean, having yeah. a kid at 19. That's not normal, especially back in 2010. There weren't that many teen moms at that time. And if they were, they were on MTV. So <laughs> it's, it's definitely was an interesting journey, but that definitely gave me strength. I mean, from then, I couldn't face that anymore. And so through that, my mom decided, obviously, that those comments and those judgments will always follow us everywhere. But we need to go back to where you were comfortable at one point, um, where, mm. where it was your home. And that was Dallas. Of course, the context, too, is that uh, the biological dad was very in and out of visiting her. So he was, we weren't together anymore. At the time of birth, around then, we actually broke up. So we, we officially just were apart from each other, but he wanted to still agree to be there. So he was there, but within the three months, he was very in and out of visiting her. So it was just when it was convenient for him, he was still partying. He was just doing things that every other 19-year-old does. And he couldn't sacrifice that. He couldn't let it go. And so we thought it was very unhealthy for Layla. Uh, just not a stable father figure that you want around. It's just rather better not having around to, for influence. And so that was another reason why we moved back. Yeah, in 2010, we moved back and that definitely gave me strength. When you were talking about the comments that you did receive, was that in the community you guys were in in Houston at the time? Or also did that then welcome you guys back when you returned to Dallas where people also had comments or was that not as much because of the foundations you guys did have or how was that reception so with houston again i was only there for three years so this was my yeah. third year and i mentioned that i wasn't really faithful in my walk with god so i wasn't going to church that often with my mom and so when i had the baby we were like oh we should i should at least go back to going to church while my mom was still going so I would go with her, but the difference of the reactions between Houston and Dallas was that, yeah, they don't know me at all. They don't know my past and who I was. And so I'm just a stranger, a 19-year-old that had a, a baby. Whereas mm. in Dallas, people knew the old Lily Yoon. Yeah. You know, they yeah. knew what kind of Lily I was. You know, this might have been a hiccup in the road, but they would see it as oh you know it happens or 
you know, God was just pruning her. We're aware of who she was. She's, st- she's still a good person. And um, we we're just welcoming her. So I was actually very welcomed. And mm. it, it didn't necessarily feel like I was going back to where I was, because obviously, I was in a whole different stage. But I was just welcomed with familiar faces, that familiar love, and it became so natural. I love how your mom recognized that you needed to go back to a place where you felt comfortable or you felt you. Um, And I think that move sounds really strategic because kind of what you were saying resonates for a lot of people who transition somewhere else and maybe that stage was hard or not really themselves, but there's nothing else to base base it off of right and not that that um, merits judgment or merits any comments like you were receiving but to be able to go back home where they could speak that truth or speak that life back into you when you might not have been able to do that to yourself at that time I, I don't know I feel like that was a really good move and I'm glad you guys were able to do that early on so that you could continue to be protected and continue on this journey to where you are today yeah, definitely. Mom's now best, right? Yes. So then you're moving back home or back to Dallas, kind of alluding to what your mom had said when you found out you were pregnant, right? And this is like the handicap or like in Korean, they say like the, is it like when they say like the kind of stuff, you know, like uh-huh. kind of like <laughs> my Korean is obviously not that good, but like, you know, like it like that phrase in the Korean dramas kind of like resonated with me when you're sharing what your mom had said and so I'm curious in this next stage where it's true like it is going to be harder to career-wise love life etc and parenting um, Layla what are three words that describe that stage where life still moves on and so what did that look like for you Three words I'd say to describe navigating career, love life, and parenting as a single mom, I would say, again, it's pruning. And I mm. only bring that up, on that word again, because, man, I, I really was being pruned. Yeah. And uh, second word would be confidence. And then the third would be love. <laughs> I would elaborate. I would elaborate yeah. in the pruning because he's just, as, as I have shared up until now is just a lot of challenges that maybe at that time I felt was so harsh. But when I look back today, he was so pruning me. He was Mm. just working in my life, just cutting off the branches that needed to be, which were just Houston and just the bad influences. And he also cut that off knowing that it was deteriorating within me, slowly but surely. So that pruning just is still working to this day, I'm sure. Right. But that that definitely resonated in my life. Navigating through a career at that time was really tough. Mm-hmm. I was 21 now and then I was working at a sushi restaurant and that was just the quickest thing right to to make ends meet to put food on the table at least to help my mom put food on the table to put a roof over our head so that was why school was still at pause at that time and so working at the sushi restaurant was not easy I mean there were morning shifts late night shifts And as I did move up from being a hostess to like an assistant manager, it was just endless nights 
where I'd come home so late and so many nights where I would miss putting Layla to bed. You know, little things like that. I would miss those moments. And my mom comes into play as like my savior. Because of her, I was able to go out and work like that, whether it's Mm. part-time or full-time. She was there to take care of Layla as if she were the father figure Mm. in her life. And so navigating through that couldn't have been done alone. And through her, it was eye-opening for me to, you know, maybe, or now that I'm having this huge help, I need to shoot higher. And so that's when I, in the midst of that, I tried going to school during my time at the sushi restaurant. So then I was going to community college and I actually applied to nursing school and um, I got in. Yay! Yeah, I got into the accelerated program, which is so hard. And I got in a 16 month program. And then after first semester, my mom decides, oh, you know, there's this great opportunity for me in Georgia. So I must go. And that was a turning point in the career part, Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was I was climbing, you know, I'm getting there to somewhat of a stable career for Layla and for our family but then she had to go and the reason why I had to leave was because I don't know if you know about nursing school but obviously it's not like med school but you have Mm. to be either in the library or just in your room Mm. studying for the majority of time and raising a kid and trying to pay bills that's that's not possible and so I left it and then I made a fast pivot after that And that's why I'm in a tech startup now. Yeah, like I feel like that's so different from where you were headed. And it sounds like it's a good different, like a good way to be where you are today. But that's definitely so opposite of nursing. Yeah, I was, you know, I was still working at the sushi restaurant. I'm like six years in. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, when is it the end? The reason why I could never leave that during nursing school is because I still had to have my bills paid. So I still yeah. had to work. My mom worked part-time too. She would work two jobs at one point. And it was just, it was so stressful for me to see that, but we were all just drained. We were all just trying to make ends meet. And so actually during my time in the restaurant, I had, you know, met a lot of customers and met a lot of regulars. And I actually met a friend named John and he one day was like, hey, so if you're not going to do nursing school anymore, what are you going to do? And I was just like, I don't know, but I still definitely want to stay in the medical field. I was so sure. But then he was like, you know what, though? You'd be really good at tech sales. And I was like, what do you mean, like selling software? And he's like, I mean, could be, but just anything tech. And you're really good at talking, first of all, because I <laughs> was trying to sell him a Bluefish reward member card. And, and he still remembers that to this day. And and so he's like, hey, you know, you should definitely try it out. I mean, what what could hurt? And that's, yeah, to be honest, I had nothing else lined up anyway, right? So I had to make a very fast pivot. And after like eight interviews and one huge homework assignment for the interview, I got the job for this San Francisco startup. It's a data and analytics company. And I started mm-hmm. off as a sales representative. And I did that for a year and five months or six months or so. And then um, and then I shifted up to marketing because I did not want to do sales. It, I, that's not something I saw myself doing. I was just getting right. easily burnt out. So when, yeah, I moved out of sales, 
I went into marketing actually during the pandemic. That was a year ago or a year and a half ago. Yeah. And then I got a recruiter at my current job, poached me on LinkedIn, and it was just an offer that could not be beat. And it was definitely a, a trajectory that would potentially bring me to like a VP role. Mm. So it was such a good opportunity that I couldn't miss. And especially in the midst of the pandemic, it's so hard to even keep a job, but I had to take that opportunity and that's where I am now. Yeah, it's another Silicon Valley startup, but it is fun. Definitely rewarding and that's where I am now. That's so, like awesome that it like you're here and like you're because you're like managing people now, right? Yeah. Like yeah. when you were struggling or like really frustrated, like did you maybe which would have been great if you're able to like speak life and truth and believe in yourself, right? But sometimes it's like, yeah. did you just want to give up? Or did you believe you would get to this point? And if so, earlier than you thought, or I don't know what, what did that look like versus the fact that you're actually living it now in terms of career? Yeah, at that point, I didn't think I'd move anywhere in a career path this fast, whether it was jumping to another path, or to just even being promoted during a pandemic. I mean, all of it was such a whirlwind, whirlwind, if you think about it. But it was an interesting, it really does help to just head down, focus on your work and really be able to, whether it's behind the screen because of the pandemic, but to really network with strong people and to utilize your assets and yeah. your skills. I think that was one thing that I wasn't so great at and that's what made me less confident in thinking that I can climb that corporate ladder. I didn't fully use my skills and assets. I just thought that I was fitting for just the sales role. But I guess mm -hmm. it's like that imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it hits hard. Do you still but... struggle with the imposter syndrome or do you feel like you're like, I'm I'm good? <laughs> it hits me every now and then. I will admit, but at the position I'm in now and with so much potential that my boss and my colleagues see in me, even through a screen or in person is, or more in screen, it definitely gives me confidence. I rarely have that now that that syndrome really hits. Uh, but I mean, these days it's, it's where it's at. It's trending. I mean, the tech startups and, and having that remote life. Yeah. And, you know, not having that four-year bachelor's degree. I mean, because mm. keep in mind, I only have an associate's degree, mm. yet I was able to accomplish as much as I have now at the age of 30. It's definitely not just from my skills and assets. I mean, God is just mm. continuing to bless me and my family. So I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I don't think we really got to focus on this, but obviously the biggest part of your life was Layla during all of this. And as you navigated so many personal changes as a mom, right? Like you're still always doing everything with this child in the back of your mind. Everything is for her, you know? And so what was just like in general when you stepped into motherhood and like as you raised her and like even your relationship with her in general, like was she able to, I know she's still so young, but even when you did have those late nights or things like that, like how did you continue to create such a strong relationship with her that I only see through social media, but it seems so special. Yeah. My mom definitely um, is a huge factor in that. 
um, seeing our relationship grow and always having that strong bond, mm -hmm. I think it was just really important for me to continue that with my daughter, whether mm -hmm. it's, um, even though it's just me and her, but because it's just me and her, um, I have to make it extra strong because she doesn't mm -hmm. have a dad mm -hmm. at that time. And so even with the late nights and whatnot, any free time I would get during the day, I would always devote my time with her and always make sure that she's being seen and she's being taught. And at that time, I definitely want to say like five, six years of the time I was at the sushi restaurant, my, there are more memories with my mom than mm. myself, if you really think about it, because I was just always out working. And if I wasn't working, I was just because I was so stressed and living such a challenging life trying to raise my daughter alone. And although I had my mom, you know, it wasn't that traditional ideal family picture I wanted. Mm -hmm. I was oftentimes finding myself really stressed out and burnt out, then I would succumb to the worldly temptations. Like I would always want to go drink or I'd always want to go party. And I'd always want to just release that tension and the stress that way. And so I think through that, it was really tough on the motherhood part. I wanted to be there and I tried as much as I could. But at, at the same time, I think I was still trying to fill that void mm. in my life with just the wrong things. Mm. I think it's it's also just true, right? When you said you were coming back to Dallas, right? You still have a lot of things that you did experience when you were in Houston and I love your honesty even in, in sharing. It was hard and you, you had to relieve the stress of that difficult life you were yeah. living. I think there was a season where there were times I would feel like, oh, is, is she okay? Like, I don't know. I did have those thoughts too. And at that point, I was like, I don't even know if we're close to be like, hey, what's up? We're like, I don't know. Like, just like talk about stuff. But I think it's just such an important reminder. Like, you have no idea what's going on in people's lives. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just really humbling and a reminder to always like know everyone has that story and actually has like a lot of crap that they're going through or doing that is not for anyone else's business or, you know, even even any of that. I don't know. I just feel very encouraged listening to you and yeah, very I'm happy. I, <laughs> I know, seriously. Um, you also mentioned love as one of your three words in this stage. And I don't know if you want to elaborate anything on that or we don't have to, you know, before we go into your next stage of love. <laughs> I do want to add in though, speaking of love. Yeah. This didn't really fall into the, the meaning behind love. But in terms of my love life, I think also that was a huge factor in who I am now. Because it was, it's such a roller coaster to navigate that as a single mom, right? Yeah. And especially in the Asian community, it's like, oh, no, no mom wants to see their son with mm. a, a woman that had a kid out of wedlock, you know, and that's not their own child. And so I think that definitely made me stronger and that I had to really protect my daughter. And yeah. that I deserved yeah. more than that. I mean, in my past experiences, I have had a, a few close calls and really thought it was the one, you know. But then when the mother topic came into it, you know, the mother wouldn't accept me or we just couldn't go any further because, you know, your child wouldn't be welcomed kind of feeling is just mm. so tough. But not only on myself, I didn't want that for my daughter. Yeah, my yeah. daughter 
deserves more than that, you know? And so that's what made me into who I am today as a mother to not just think, oh, you know, I want to be treated like a princess and I want my man to lavish me in these luxuries. It was more so like, hey, well, can you protect my daughter from Mm. your mother if there were to be any kind of, you know, wrong intent? Or, you know, could you just take her as your own and be able to just fill in that position in an instant? And so I think that that's how I came to Jean today. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah, just love. uh, The meaning of love, though, was I think I I was trying to describe through the sushi restaurant days and the partying and whatnot. I knew that that had to end because Mm. Layla was only getting older. And I didn't want to keep portraying that as a mother to her. And so I, at that time, was going to a a church in Frisco. Uh, It was a small church in Frisco, but such meaningful relationships came out of that. And through many, you know, discipleship training classes or like these intimate Bible studies, it definitely grew me spiritually and just mentally and as a mother. But I learned that I, I needed a community that can hold me accountable and challenge me so I don't fall back into those worst traits, right? Because it's so easy to. And so I wasn't getting that there. I just wasn't sure how much longer can I stay here with a very swaying community that just in and out. It was a lot of young adults that were foreign exchange students. They were going back to Korea. And it wasn't just such a strong community that I didn't really have anyone to rely on. Just the pastor's and the leaders, but I'm not going to just rely on them constantly. So that was when I took the stance to find a new church. And that's where I came to GHC today. Okay. So the next topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you went to GHC and um, three words describe meeting your husband and the journey to becoming a family. Three words I would say is blessing, surrender, and peace. Mm. I would say those are the perfect three words. I love the um, just like hearing all these words within each stage. I just really like. I like it. I like it a lot. Like the gradual, <laughs> yeah, shift and even. It means a lot that you like it. <laughs> I can tell you put in a lot of effort <laughs> to the homework. <laughs> um, okay, so elaborate on what what was the blessings, which were seems like many, right? And um, just all the ways that you were able to get to that sense of peace that you you have right now I will definitely say just finding my home church is a blessing yeah and you also know I'm not sure if you do but I went to churches max is like 50 people and so when I came uh, from Frisco church of like I want to say 30 40 people coming to like a 300 people church that's definitely not going to be my first choice, right? If you think about it with yeah. the whole past, I don't want to be judged. and But, you know, I just took the stance because I need to find a community somewhere. Yeah. And so I had to just bite my tongue, be strong, don't be, you know, swayed in that weakness. And I tried out GHC. As soon as I got into GHC, I dropped Leela off to the kids ministry and I was just immediately welcomed who is now my home group leader so Mm. she was in the welcoming counter and she was just so welcoming so that that definitely helped 
and then the service alone, I was so, how do you say it? Like I was so convicted by just that day sermon. And I felt like this was all so natural. I didn't feel mm. like this is my first day. I felt very welcomed, but not, you know, pushed welcome. Like, give me your number. Let's hang out next week. It was just, hey, if you liked it, we'd love for you to come. You know, we we definitely have a strong, what are you seeking? And I straight up told the pastor's wife who sought after me after the service was just like, what are you seeking? Are you seeking a husband or a community or, you know, very personal, <laughs> yeah. but so transparent. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. People go in and sometimes need that nudge. And so I actually mentioned that I wanted a community and immediately she was giving me, you know, advices and coming to the connect gathering, which is their entry point and being admitted to the church and meeting people. And so that was a good way, but it didn't feel so unnatural. It felt so smooth and Layla had a great time. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give this church a try. I actually had another church that I was going to try afterwards, but I never ended up going there. I just stuck to GHC. And after that first week, I had family from Korea visit. And so I was absent for a few weeks. And then I came back and it was the Christmas season. And at that time, it was pre-COVID, like three months before COVID. So they had food. So they were like, oh, you know, you should stay after and eat with us. I actually had a friend that goes to GHC that I grew up with when I was very little. And so I was going to go eat with him and meet his friends. And we were walking around and we come to a table with people, you know, his, his close friends. Uh, Jean was there, but it was full. There were no chairs. And so I, the person that's, that don't like being a burden, very independent, yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, 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 let's go sit somewhere else. We don't, I don't, I don't want anyone to get up. But as soon as I was telling my friend that Jean just gets up with like half food in his mouth, trying to give me a seat, I guess it all happened so fast at that time. We were like, oh no, 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 it's okay. We'll sit somewhere else. So I want to say, because I ask him all the time, that mm -hmm. was the first day he laid eyes on me. <laughs> and so Aww. that is how he met me. But then a few weeks afterwards, we were having fellowship after service. And um, I was just making small talk. People were trying to get to know me a bit. And he kind of swooped into the circle trying to get to <laughs> hear me and who this girl is. Not going to lie, in the beginning, he did tell me transparently that he thought I was too young for him. Mm. And so he wasn't going to pursue me. But when he heard my little life story, you know, how I got to this church and kind of my background, he was like, oh, this girl is maybe the one, you know, she's mm. actually very mature for her age. And then from there is history. <laughs> oh my gosh. So wait, wait, wait. But then, but then COVID happened. Yes, COVID happened. So y'all, like, y'all dated and engaged and married, like, most of it during COVID season. Yeah, all of it. Aww. So he had asked me out for the first dinner, like, in January. Okay. And then COVID happened in March, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just our relationship just flourished during the pandemic was an age gap something for you or like what attracted him to you when he did kind of decide he wanted to pursue you after just hearing more about you at first I did confess to my home group like I was saying it was the lady behind the welcoming counter she's our home group leader 
Mm-hmm. Funny thing is Gene was actually in that home group. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so he was the only single guy there, actually. Oh. Like a month before we even met, he had actually lifted up a prayer request like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to get married. I would like to find, you know, the person. And I ended up meeting him the month after. So we all kind of see this as, wow, this is so supernatural. The reason why I was hesitant in the beginning was because I'm going there to find a community, Mm. right? And so, and again, with my past, I didn't want to be portrayed as that, that single mom coming into a church just to find a husband or, Mm. and let's be real. I'm just a very practical person. And so I, I really think of the worst case scenarios and it's just the real life scenario thoughts that may run through people's heads. And um, with our ethnicity, many of us can have a lot of criticism and whatnot. So I was just trying to fully avoid that. So I wasn't interested in gaining a relationship out of GHC, at least not that fast. I was plugged into the home group so fast, but so naturally, and it was where I wanted to be. And and Jean respected that. So, mm. we, so we went on a few dates, and I had professed that. And mm. so he was very respectful and keeping it low-key. He wasn't pushing. And regardless of how much older he was, he is from me, he didn't push marriage. It, it wasn't like, hey, I need to get married and he was just so understanding and compassionate in that way. And I think that's what pulled me more towards him. Also, right in the beginning of when we were dating, his dad passed away. Mm. Um, Yeah, just out of the blue. And so that was when I was kind of unsure of whether to keep going with him. But then when that happened, a few days after, or not even, I was just so pulled to him. And I think that's where my caretaker character comes back into play again. I just wanted to love on him. I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to do whatever it is to help him heal. Keep in mind, I didn't even know him that long. I only knew him for like two, three months. But I just knew. I knew that I wanted to be there. And so I just grabbed the ticket to New Mexico and I, I went to comfort him and when I went, it was obviously, oh, his mom's going to be there. His whole relatives are going to be there. It was definitely an understanding that, okay, Lily, you need to go prepare yourself. If you're really going, you need to go with the heart of wanting to marry this man because you're seeing mm-hmm. his mom at the most vulnerable time. Obviously, we didn't establish marriage at that day, but internally, we both knew, okay, we're very serious about each other. Yeah. And then it just flourished throughout the pandemic. I think what really stuck with me for Jean is that for the first time in my life, I never felt like I needed approval Mm. like from him. I didn't feel that I had to justify Layla. So that was very powerful feeling. I have like goosebumps when she said that. (laughs) I feel like that's like something you've wanted and just like to receive that just naturally, that feeling of... So naturally. Yeah. Wow. He was able to take me in cover me and my scars you know and even though I have these scars externally he is able to say like so what he's able to accept me and the beauty behind the scars couldn't have it any other way <laughs> wow gee <laughs> <laughs> I have to meet you someday <laughs> meet him in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, I know <laughs> I know man um that's kind of crazy that you were able to be there for him at such a difficult point of his life too and just 
meeting his family so quickly and all that. I, I do want to ask, what was that reception like in the sense of the ways you wanted to protect Layla through whoever you met and wanted to be with? Did you feel that through his whole family? Did you feel that instant love for Layla just as much as you felt that for yourself? At the end of the day, it's up to the man to be able to cover you, whether their family member takes it this way or that way yeah, regarding yeah. your daughter. A, it really was apparent through Gene how, how strong he was and how loving he was in, in that way and just with so much grace. And second, when I actually went to go meet his relatives, they're actually very, very Americanized versus my Yay. family. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes that's a good it, thing. Sometimes it was definitely a good thing for us. Yeah, he has American uncles and relatives, and they're all just so open. They're just like, so what? To his mom, they were like, let Chain date her. Like, there's nothing wrong with her. You know that. These days, that's happening everywhere. You know, just small talks like mm. that. Because in the beginning, of course, like any other, um, his mom wasn't so welcoming to the idea, right? And especially with Jean's age, she didn't think that that was really wise for him to mm. take on that kind of life for himself. But I think it was very natural for my mother-in-law too, because she's such a woman of God too. Mm. At the end of the day, she knows, you know, she is still a child of God too, whether mm. it's out of wedlock or whether it's not Jean's child, she is still a child of God. And she welcomed me with open arms and the, the relatives were just so easy. They were yeah. so easy to love me, so easy to grace me with all the welcoming and making me feel like I'm a part of their family already. So there was no hesitance or I feel like that brings me back to when you were sharing about your mom and your sister's initial reaction to your pregnancy, just, you know, Mm -hmm. because they want to protect you and because of Korean culture in general, like knowing what that difficulty could look like, but soon quickly, just knowing that that love for you and love for Layla is like so much stronger than any of those worries. And I don't know, hearing about what you're saying about his mom too, of course, that's like a cultural thing that's just embedded into people to feel like that's something to think about to protect her son. But as you're sharing, just like that didn't last long at all because she knows truly what's like kingdom mindset and like what's real Mm -hmm. true love. And I just like, it's good that both of you guys have such strong women to like really know what's truly important and what's truly like, the right way to parent and accept their child's decision over what they might think yeah. is culturally okay. For sure. That's really, that's really like cool to hear. The best summary. <laughs> yeah. So continue on with you guys. What did that look like yeah. for, I don't know, you guys had a wedding in the pen or like not really, like you guys got married together and, but yeah. you know, just like being yeah. able to really celebrate that love. Can you just share that part of your journey with him? I didn't have that traditional wedding. That's why it's like so vague for you yeah. saying, like, did y'all have the wedding? So we we got married at City Hall and that was 100% both of our decisions. Um, mm. At the time, we were trying to budget, you know, oh, this, you know, what would our ideal wedding uh, be like? And we were looking at venues, dresses, caterers, etc. But as time was passing and, you know, we actually had to start finding a home uh, to live in together. Because at that time, I was still with my mom 
and he was still living in his uh, apartment alone and both of our contracts were nearing. Yeah. And so your mom so we moved like, back from Georgia. Oh yes. Okay, so okay. She's, she's already moved back. Got it, and, got it. Got but it. at that time it was too late to start back in my nursing career. So and I was thriving here. So it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. she moved back. We were living together and then um as our contracts are nearing at this point in life, uh we had to look for a house on top of planning for a wedding. And so we were like, well, let's just find the house first. And so we found the house in February. We we both didn't really believe in cohabitation. So we thought, you know, we need to get married. We can't even be sleeping in the same bed. We're not married. So we, it was February. And at the end of the day, we just came to realization that we just wanted to be together as mm-hmm. one. We we wanted to become united as one, especially to show that to Layla too. Yeah. Um, to teach her that, you know, don't be living with your boyfriend. <laughs> but not only just that, but this is the ultimately the life we wanted. So we went straight into uh, premarital counseling with our pastor and someone we met at our church. And our pastor actually married us the last week of oh. our premarital counseling. So we were actually married spiritually there but after all the plans and the decisions you know like I still wanted to feel like a bride whether it's not with the veil or whatnot so I still got a nice dress but we went to city hall his mom came down she was still in New Mexico at that time so she came down to spend time with us and then my mom was there and my sister just all the important people in our lives were a part of that and then you probably, yeah, you saw my recent post. We didn't really get to do a honeymoon. We did a kind of a staycation, which was amazing, but it didn't suffice as like, let's, yeah, celebrate yeah, our lives and like, let's give ourselves luxury for the first time ever. I feel like, you know, he's older than I am. And so when he told me he never been to Mexico, I'm just like, I'm 30 and I'm saying, you know, I've never been to Mexico and I felt like a spoiled child when I said that because he's older than me and he's never gone. And I'm like, you know what? You know, you deserve this. And I deserve it too. And now that, you know, career-wise, we're doing better. Let's just spoil ourselves. I feel that we deserve that. And so, yeah, God blessed us with a vacation in Cancun. Yeah. I think that was a really good time to reflect because it was exactly a year. We flew on the day of our wedding day a year ago. And a lot of times we would just look at each other just like, wow, we did we did this for a year. Because within the year, we've been through so much trials and tribulations, I feel mm-hmm. like. It's different because we're coming in with a package of two versus not just a man and woman. It's my daughter and our <laughs> the dogs. So <laughs> now too. A lot for Jean. <laughs> yeah, now too. So it's a lot for Jean. And I completely sympathize. It's a lot for him to take on. And so caused us to have a lot of differences and a lot of struggles that married couples would have. Like in five years, I feel like we just accomplished that in the first year. <laughs> and so. That's and and stronger so through it. Oh yeah, so so much stronger and so much peace within that too. There was a picture in one of your posts where you guys are both kissing Layla and she's like bawling, and that just like <laughs> tugged at all of my heartstrings. Um, 
So uh, she she approves of Jean. <laughs> um, what does this? <laughs> what does this like completion look like in the lens of her eyes? Like she was your age when you had to kind of yeah. grow up and a lot of things yeah. that you yeah. went through, right? And so mm-hmm. you know, while she was always filled with love for sure, you know, and that's like clearly yeah. evident in your stories. I think even just being able to see you with who you were meant to be with and like to have someone that does fully call her his own. Um, I don't know, like, yeah. was there, and, and maybe she's too young to even like share these reflections yet. And in 18 years, she'll have her own little like reflection time, but I don't yeah, know. She'll be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Oh, oh I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, I guess like what, how, how has it been in her? Like, do you feel like it is for her to be in this new family dynamic where she, she has both of you guys. She, like you said, like has someone who's really thinking about these like intentional role modeling in advance because of what they want her to see and things like that. Everything was just so natural. Mm. Currently, she's just deep into Jean's arms as Jean's welcoming. She called him Appa, dad, like day five, I feel like. Mm. Um, not that it was easy for her. I, I wouldn't say it's not easy, especially, but I think obviously God working within, but I had kind of nudged her in that direction. Like this is daddy and this is, he is here for you. He will mm-hmm. guide you. And yes, it's now you at that time, you're 11, you're 11 now. And I know it's a little later, but he's here now. So mm-hmm. don't feel hesitant. Don't hinder anything he's here for you ever since then I mean at times I look at them and they're closer than I am Mm. with her it's such a blessing to see that and I think for her too she is not really the best at expressing her emotions she's not but I think she's very thankful I and I I can sense it I can feel that she's just so grateful that she um, is able to have Jean as her dad and that she can call him her own and that there is no instability that, yeah, you know, will I have a dad today and not tomorrow? It's like she just knows that he, he'll be there to guide her forever. It's tough when you were just with mom for 11 years and now a dad comes in and, you know, still has to be disciplinarian at times. Yeah. It's hard, right? Because we don't want the whole well, you're not my dad. Why are you telling? We're obviously, you know, we. that's like the last thing we would want. Um, she definitely is learning a lot of patience too. And she's, I think through these circumstances, she's able to just open her heart more and learn that, okay, it's not just mom. I have to be uh, more patient, more loving to take in what dad is saying too. And so it's, it's a, it's a big process for her too. I think transition is a better word. It sounds like you're very good at communicating on the front end, just to like prepare her for potential things. Do you guys have talks yet on her being a biracial child? Cause she's, she's grown up right in a pretty Korean immersed community, like around her is mostly mm-hmm. like emos. And how are you able to walk with her in the fact that she doesn't look full Korean? And if that's mm-hmm. something she's, even thought about yet because my son is also not full Korean right and I, I do wonder like what yeah. those com- conversations could look like if they were needed to happen in the future 
Yeah, she is very well aware, <laughs> right? She has gotten, though, more comments of her looking more Korean than anything. Like, she doesn't get questions like, hey, what are you mixed with? It, very rare, it, which is actually interesting. I'm actually, communication-wise, very transparent with her since early on from the point where she was able to understand of her biological dad. I was actually very close with the church leader's wife that actually had adopted their son from North Korea. And so she would watch a lot of documentaries or read a lot of books about how to confront your child or how to have discussions with your child when they're not your own and, you know, things like that. And I would receive a lot of advice. It was very helpful in the way that you have to be very open from the beginning with your child. And so to avoid that confusion and that doubt later on, like, was I, you know, why don't I have, you know, the Korean heritage in me? Why do I look like this? Am I supposed to characterize an American versus a Korean? Like, what am I supposed mm. to be? I was very transparent about that and where her bloodline came from. I would be transparent about his info and just say, like, hey, he wasn't there for you. You know, not able to sacrifice as your parents and not there for you as a good figure but you know you're open to look for him later in life if you need like I know one day you may doubt your identity and mm. try to wonder where half of myself is from so I am very transparent in that communication you are so mature <laughs> It's hard because like, I only remember like sixth grade Lily and we're just also like innocent, right? And like just like hee 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 and it's it's so cool that it's like years later. Um and I'm taking notes as I listen to you. So you had said that you didn't find out about your dad and like the reasons for until like a couple years ago. And not that we have to go into details of that part, but just in terms of like when you did receive the news, almost closing up that chapter of it all, like with that news, like what did that look like for you in terms of understanding that and processing? Honestly, long story short, it's really easy. Mm. Um, so my parents divorced when I was 12. I'm at like 25 and she tells me about this, you know, the deepest, darkest secrets at that point. At that point, I'm very oblivious to my dad. I'm like, well, you know, you've practically raised me all on your own and my sister. Of course, as a child, I've missed having a dad and missed this and missed that. But it's like, what, what is that going to do for you when you dwell? So at that time when she shared, I was just like, wow, devastated for my mom. I, mm. I, but at the end of the day, I still felt all the emotions for my mom. And I didn't more so feel anything for my dad. I was like, oh, well, you know, good riddance. And I, I don't know if I shared earlier, after the divorce, there was no engagement or interaction, like nothing. So okay. it really was like cold turkey to this day. So when I had found the news, it wasn't that tragic. It was just me comforting my mom. And there, there wasn't much sympathy for him. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing about that. It's just crazy, like, seeing and hearing and even, like, thinking about when your mom moved to Georgia. And in the moment, that must have felt not crappy against her, but for your situation, like, oh, shoot, I have to refigure yeah. stuff out. But then when you when you hear the bigger picture, or you hear that full journey, it's like, wow, even that was, like, this huge opportunity for it seems like you love where you are today, you know, like, yeah. and especially even just career wise to be in a 
in a place where you can also bring that inspiration to other workers. Um, it's It's been really encouraging to get to be listening to your full circle story, right? And a lot of times we're stuck in that moment where it's like, oh crap, like what do I do now? Like this is not how I thought it was going to happen. And it's encouraging to think in it, you know, trusting in God's handprints and like what he's going to orchestrate out of that. So I am blessed to be hearing this. Yeah. It is crazy you say full circle too, because it's like you and I are the same people sometimes or same person, I would say. Um, ENFJs. You, you, when you just sent me your personality, I was like, uh, ENFJ, I'm a two wing three. And you were like one, two or three. I was like, oh my gosh. I did not know this, Lily, that we are so like compatible. I uh, noted in here, like just little messaging points for our episode. And I, I put at the end of the day, seems like I've come a full circle. Um, <laughs> like just, you know, just, I can't, I went from like an angelic child, let's say, and going through all this pruning of God and then just these trials left and right and then now I've just come full circle back to him and so it's crazy to me when when you ask me to just reflect on my life and I'm like I never really sat down um in the last 30 years and actually look back I was just so busy living yeah and so I, I definitely have to say this is like one verse that I always go by maybe because I just feel so like it's true testament to myself but one of my favorite verses is first Peter five ten. Mm. um it's around and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you and I feel that my suffering is not comparable to him at all you know mm. but like in his own way and and through like my own journey and in in his timing, he like restored me back. Yeah, you know, yeah, so absolutely. Have to share that. Yes, thank you. That's that's a really good verse, and I think that's a strong reminder. I just spoke too soon. You're about to full circle it all. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it was the perfect timing. Yeah. Perfect uh, I we don't have to elaborate too much, but on the last stage, it's just. Where you are today, and this isn't about who you're in love with and who you're a mother of, but just you, like describing three words to describe your present. Like you're a freaking boss woman, you love the Lord. And I think I even remember when you posted like the crazy love book post, and I was like, oh man, like God's doing something in her life. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I'm excited to keep watching because I have like no connection really anymore. But just like, there's just been so much, and just like to wrap wrap it all up with what three words would you describe your present devotion intention and restoration so mm. it kind of kind of encompasses all that i pretty much said yes. but i'll leave you with with the intention part and the devotion mm. i feel that i'm more intentional with who i am for jean and for layla with my past i felt that i was always comparing to my environment mm-hmm. trying to seek my identity through someone else or some others i feel like i was just trying to portray this lily whereas i was that lily and it just wasn't honest and my actions and my relationship may I just not have been intentional at all at that time and so I've definitely become a person where I'm more intentional with just who I am overall, words, actions, behavior, everything, especially my love is definitely intentional. 
and um, devotion, I would say that's like the full circle. I just yeah. I feel like I'm desiring God more, that I'm devoting myself more. Have you ever read that book, um, The End of Me by Kyle mm-hmm. Eidelman? It's such a good book. Okay, I need to note that. <laughs> it's essentially just the end of you and the beginning of God, right? And so with that, I devote myself more and I'm just surrendering and just becoming less of myself. And that's what helps the growth of where I am today. Because I feel like I don't think I got to where I am today with all my abilities and, mm. and knowledge. Yeah, none of that. So actually, when I first started planning for the relaunch of this podcast, I sometimes mm-hmm. pray about who I should ask. It was like very clear that I was really convicted to ask Lily to be on this podcast because I just felt like her story mm-hmm. just had a lot to share of like redemption of difficulty, but really his love. And as you shared, I just like am reminded that, yeah, like your story has been so fingerprinted, marked by him. And it's I'm really mm-hmm. grateful that you chose to share that and be so vulnerable. Like, I appreciate that you did come ready to just like open up. And that means only for you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess. Uh, to wrap it up um, one thing I asked my guests just in case like we start eating fruits from here and there we can think about our you know the guests that were on the podcast if you were a fruit or you had to pick a fruit what would you be and why yeah I was listening to all your episodes <laughs> and I was like man I'm not gonna pick the their fruit because that's just coffee I'm gonna pick a new fruit like, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know if they did this but I would be a banana. Oh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A banana because it's a funny thing. Banana isn't ripe for too long, right? It, like you buy it green the first day and like day four, it's like brown. I think that depicts my personality very well because I get overwhelmed more often than not mm-hmm. with everything I try to juggle simultaneously, like too fast. So I get burnt out too fast. Also, when the banana starts aging, you know how it turns brown? Yeah. And yeah. you can see it right away. It, yeah. You can spot it. from above. And this is one thing I don't like about myself, but I wear feelings on my sleeves. You can tell if I'm sad or mad. Or, mm. I feel that the banana is so easily to be seen. To tell. It just turns <laughs> brown. You know, oh, the inside is a little brown. When you open that, it's going to yeah. be really rough. Yeah. Um, yeah, but lastly, I would say because it's soft in the inside. Yeah, even if I have a hard exterior, I'm yeah very soft in the inside. So that would be me. Jada needs a banana every morning, and now I feel like I'm just gonna think about you. But I think that's I'm also <laughs> someone that wears my emotions on my sleeves, and that's just mm-hmm. such an interesting way to think about it. Like, because that is such a big part of people who do wear emotions on their sleeves, and I think that is an accurate depiction. I think sharing. this is a really good question. Now we can just think of people when we eat. I don't know if that's weird or not. But. Yeah, what was yours in that? I think it was like a passion dragon fruit or passion, or pomegranate. Yeah, well, ours was for our marriage. If I ever have him back on for like a personal one, then I would ask him for himself. But since the topic was marriage, mine was pomegranate and his was pineapple for our marriage. Oh, yeah, interesting. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I like it. I like so far. Like, yeah, they're all they're all very unique answers. Um, so I'm just gonna ask you like five rapid fire questions. I just made them up, and then you can answer them quickly, and then we will close it out. Okay. Who is one person in the world that are alive that you would want to have dinner with if you could? Oh, 
my grandma. Oh. Yeah, she just passed away last year. Oh, yeah. I actually just saw that. I love that answer. Favorite part about being married? Just having him by me (laughs) (laughs) 24-7. I saw him walk um, behind the door a couple times. (laughs) Yeah, I told him, "Hey, go! You should have go hang out with your friend while I'm doing this." So you know, he's probably like listening. (laughs) Yeah, I'm embarrassed talking about my life story with you. (laughs) Um, you said you like books. Favorite book of all time? I would definitely say "Crazy Love." Mm. Is yeah, by Francis Chan. It'll change you, and he's great. Um, happiest memory with your family this past year? Can't be married because that was over a year ago <laughs> it's just there's so many it's so <laughs> just going on a walk um mm. me Jean, Layla and Ruby before the second doc came in, yeah, yeah, yeah um it's just a time for us to just reflect not even maybe say anything but just to have that time together we may not have that when in five years down the road cherishing every moment yeah yeah that would be my favorite three questions about your family who is the funniest in your family oh Jean Oh, okay. You're funny. (laughs) Okay, that's good to look forward to. Okay. I love dry humor. Yeah, I love the sarcasm. Okay. Um, Who's the best singer in your family? My sister is a good singer. You're musically gifted family, right? I think. I mean, like at karaoke, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't serve the praise team or anything right now. But yeah, I love singing. But I still would say my sister is better than me. <laughs> mm, okay. And then of your family, who is the most likely to brighten your day? Oh, Layla. <laughs> <laughs> Can't beat like the Jayden baby. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, and then last question. What is the greatest thing about being you? I think it's grace. Mm. Just having a lot of grace, being graceful, doing things with God's grace, that really is what my day-to-day is. Without the grace, I don't think I would be who I am today. I mean, through grace, everything happens, right? Like patience and love. And yeah, and it just draws me closer to my walk uh, with God and in my marriage. Yeah. Um, you definitely need a lot of grace. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And, yeah. <laughs> and so um, that's definitely needed. Uh, parenting, motherhood everything and that's I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty confident saying to say that I've been blessed with that what a beautiful way to end it do you have any last words for your listeners before we close I am no wise woman or I, I feel that I don't have much advice more so just sympathy for who would go through the stages of life that similar to mine. Mm. Um, I've actually had people reach out when she got pregnant, mm. you know, and she didn't know what to do. Um, it, it was nice to be able to help. But at the end of the day, I would like to share, A, don't try to find your identity in anyone else. You are mm. you for a reason. And I, I know that God created you for who you are. So don't try and change that into someone that you're not being confident in yourself and lastly i would just say to just trust him trust in him he has created my life in so many ways and is still continuing to that's like the keyword of my episode yeah <laughs> but, i know you need to title uh, it pruning 
Uh, it's so evident, and I'm just like a walking piece of evidence of God that I I didn't shut down. Like life still moves on. Those trials really make you who you are today, and so just know that He has that purpose. Like He already has it written down in His book, like beginning to end. And just live that out. Don't underestimate or doubt him. Mm. You know, the Lord always fights for us, so I'm thankful. That would be my ending message. Thank you, Lily. It's just on the listening end, realizing that you have lived so much. Like you have so many lived experiences already, but you're also only 30. And if you think of it that way, I'm like really excited to see what these next. 30 years if I still have a podcast by then we need to have continual reflection times because I feel like right after all this pruning and continual pruning it's it's exciting to see where that's going to go in this next level that he's clearly brought you into so I'm sure a lot of us are rooting for you and I just really appreciate you bringing your story onto this podcast today and hopefully we can hang out since I will be in Dallas and so we can actually reconnect and be friends in life and stuff you know we will, MG. You better call me when that house is closed and I know. you're ready to you're packing up your bags. I'm Seriously. so ready. I am too. And I can't I'm excited that you'll be here for baby number when baby Yeah, number yeah, call. yeah. Yes. There will be a second child born in Dallas. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you so much to the listeners for listening today to Lily's story. And if you have any questions, please reach out. I'm really grateful that we got to have her as our guest today. And we hope you enjoyed Kohler Commentary. What an inspiring conversation with Lily on the podcast today. It's amazing to hear how parts of her story that could have led to greater despair took a beautiful turn to so much pruned glory. Lily's resilience through every challenge and her empathetic heart that kept her going are beautiful reminders that even in our darkest days, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Cheers to your redeeming love story, and I'm so excited to see where life takes you and your beautiful family next. Every mom's story is so different, so powerful, and it's clear that the deep love for one's child is undeniable. I want to take this time to wish a happy Mother's Day to the scared moms, new moms, soon-to-be moms, those who yearn to be moms, and our dear mamas in heaven. Thank you for the strength in showing what it looks like to undergo physical, emotional, and mental transition in order to fiercely love and protect your little ones. Motherhood comes in so many forms, but you are all my greatest heroes. Let's keep on fighting this fight together and build each other up in the seemingly never-ending early years. Fighting! If you love this episode as much as I did, make sure to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Go to at Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and join the email list to share what you want to hear about next. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to listen to. Thanks, and this is NG signing off for this week's episode. Bye.